Hey everyone, Dave Therrien here. We're in a series getting ready for Christmas. I mean, it's like coming right now. So we want to continue with our Christmas series, getting your heart right, talking about one of the one, one, most wonderful qualities of Christmas. You know what that is? Kindness. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that today. So we're going to get right into our sermon, Kindness During Christmas. You know, if there's one act that is rarely ever refused, it's kindness. And that's because kindness is so much needed today, wouldn't you say? Kindness is one of those virtues people really need to see. Because it's lacking for some reason or another in many areas. It's the story of a, a hurried waitress. And she approached the table where a young girl was sitting by herself. And the waitress quickly asked her, what do you want? And the little girl said, how much is a Sunday? And uh, the waitress snapped back, $1.75. The little girl looked at her fistful of change and she said, well, how much is a dish of plain ice cream? And the waitress said, $1.50. And the little girl said, I'll take the plain ice cream. The waitress came back, put the ice cream down, walked away, kind of in a, like a, a rude kind of silence. After the little girl finished her ice cream and she left, the waitress went to clean off the table. To her shame, she found an extra two dimes and five pennies, the exact amount the little girl needed to get a Sunday. But she left it for a tip instead. That's kindness. Kindness is doing what you can for someone else. That's probably a good, simple definition. Doing what you can for something else. You know, kindness does many things. It softens the heart of the one receiving the kindness. And it also softens the heart of the one giving the kindness does something else. It softens the heart or it makes the person receiving the kindness feel valued. They feel like they're important because someone showed them kindness. And you know what else it does? It makes the one who is showing the kindness feel valued because they just did a great thing. So whether you're receiving it or whether you're giving kindness, it's a win-win situation. Everybody wins, the one receiving and the one doing the giving. We're in a series entitled, The Emotions of Christmas, and we come to the emotion of kindness. And I want us to see today, here's the point, you can always do something. Kindness means you can always do something. It doesn't have to cost you something. You know why? It's an extension of the heart. Kindness is not what's in your pocket or what's in your wallet. It's what's in your heart. That's where kindness comes from. So this brings us to our Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And as Steve read, back in verse 1, Now in those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Now, that doesn't mean the whole world, but it means the Roman world. Okay? And why will Caesar taking a census of all the people? The same reason any government does that. To tax them. To raise taxes. The King James kind of slipped that in. The King James says that they took a census of all the people that the whole world would be taxed. So the government's looking for money. Verse 2. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph, he also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. That means that Joseph had royal blood. He was in the lineage of King David. Joseph lived in Galilee, but he had to travel to Bethlehem. No one is sure if Joseph was born in Bethlehem. Probably not. But that was the place of his heritage. If you trace his lineage all the way back, you find David living in Bethlehem. And David was an ancestor of Joseph. By the way, he was also an ancestor of Mary. Bethlehem was called the city of David. And David was an ancestor of both Joseph and Mary. So they went. Verse 5 tells us, in order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and she was with child. Now Micah, the Old Testament prophet, he said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he said this, wow, 700 years before it happened. Too bad he's not around to pick the Super Bowl winners, huh? Of the World Series winners. But he sure picked the winner in Bethlehem, didn't he? He told us 700 years before it happened that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 6. While they were there. So now they're already in Bethlehem. They're already there. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. So the reality is that they arrived in Bethlehem a few days before Jesus was born. He wasn't born the night that they arrived in Bethlehem. Now, so Mary is close to delivery time, but she had to travel quite a distance, I would say like from here to Boston, maybe further, 80 to 90 miles, they say, to get to Bethlehem. And yeah, she probably did ride on a donkey. It took about a week to complete the journey. So can you imagine how Mary must have felt upon arriving in Bethlehem, a week long, nine months pregnant? I'm sure it was a pretty grueling trip. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And we're going to see something today about that phrase, there was no room for them in the inn. Our theme is about kindness. And uh, to be honest, you know what I had in my mind for a message about kindness? I was going to talk about the kindness of the innkeeper, who I thought got a bad rap. That although this innkeeper ran like a kind of Motel 6, and it was full and there was no room, he had a stable out back, and it's like, I can do something. I'll do something for you. And he kind of made arrangements to put him in a stable so they could have some kind of comfort. 
But you know what happened? Further research, understanding the culture of the day, and even a little common sense changed the whole story. It changed everything. And I want to give you today a new perspective on the Christmas story you probably never heard before. Maybe a few have, but I think most have not. And it's a new understanding of there was no room in the inn. I want to mention two things. Number one, this does not diminish the value of the birth of Jesus. What I'm going to say doesn't make his birth any less important or any less dramatic. Number two, don't string me up on your Christmas tree as an ornament when I'm done. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I discovered that there are many, many good biblical scholars that are all of the same opinion. So it kind of gave me some pretty good confirmation about this. Because you know what happens? See, there are extra biblical writings that have been handed down through the centuries, many of which are not true. I mean, we have a whole book called the Apocrypha, which at one time was considered to be part of the Word of God. But a council removed it because it had things in it that contradicted the flow of Scripture, like praying for the dead, like paying for your forgiveness, like purgatory. Those things are not biblically based. So all of the writings in the Apocrypha have been removed from the Bible, and they're called extra-biblical writings. There are other extra-biblical writings as well that have been removed from Scripture. For instance, there's, there's a, a belief, which is not based on Scripture, that the wise men were at the stable. And we see the Christmas card, and there they are. The Melchior, Caspar, and Belshazzar, or whatever. And we even named them. And they're there at the stable and they bring their gifts. But you know what? That's not biblically sound. The Bible tells us in Matthew 2.16, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem in his vicinity from two years old and under. So if the Magi were at the stable at the birth of Christ, why would Herod kill two-year-old babies? Why wouldn't he just kill the infants? Because the Magi showed up two years later. And Jesus was living in a home. He was around two. And that's when the Magi showed up. And Herod said, okay, I'm going to kill this baby because I'm the king, not him. And he sent his soldiers out to find all the two-year-olds and under. And he had them all killed. So, you see, biblically we can understand the truth of the Christmas story. In verse 7, again, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the word room, when it says there was no room for them in the inn, the word room is the word topos, T-O-P-O-S. And what it means is a space or a spot. It doesn't mean a room, like a bedroom or a living room or a hotel room. There was no room for them. It means that there was no space there was no spot for them in the inn. The word inn used here in Luke 7 is the word kataluma. And it means a guest room or a guest chamber. 
In Luke chapter 22, verse 11, at the Passover meal before Jesus went to the cross, he said to his disciples, you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the cataluma? Where is the guest room? Where is the guest chamber in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So they were looking for a guest chamber, a special room and a home. In Luke 10:34, the good Samaritan, he saw the man left half dead on the side of the road, beaten and robbed. And he came to him and bandaged up his wombs, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast and brought him to a pandokion, to an inn, and took care of him. A pandokion, the word translated inn, is a public lodging. It would be like a Motel 6, so to speak. Pandokion. So we have Cataluma, a guest room or a guest chamber in a house. We have a Pandokion, a public lodging. And we also have another word called a canvassery, which is just like a kind of a lean-to type stable just to get out of the weather. And sometimes travelers would go into a canvassery and they'd bring their animals and they'd have to bring their own hay and their own food. Just It's like a lean-to, just to get out of the weather or sleep in something like that for the night. So we really have three rooms that sometimes are understood to be, or three words that sometimes are understood to be in. In Luke, the word in is the word cataluma, guest chamber. So it's quite probable that the kindness, again, we're talking about kindness, the kindness of the people in Bethlehem, especially, here it comes, to the descendants of David, or Joseph and Mary. They would be like celebrities. Your descendants of King David? Oh, wow. They would be very welcomed people in that town. And if they were descendants of David and one of them was about to have a baby, that would cause someone to open up their home for them, wouldn't you think? They, 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 they could have even been relatives. They could have been thinking, because when people travel to another city, sometimes they would inquire if they had a relative living in the city, and they would stay with that relative. They would stay in their guest chamber, stay with them. So perhaps they went to a certain house of a relative. And when they got there, there was no space for them in the guest chamber. The guest chamber was full. I want you to picture this. This is now, this is where like a little common sense kicks in. Let's say you're sitting home, you're watching TV. And uh, it was last night and the Patriots almost didn't win, but they did. And you're on the edge of your couch. And to knock at your door. And you go to the door. And it's a young couple standing at the door. And you see the young lady. Wow, she's going to have a baby. Like, really soon. Almost ready. And um, 
So there they are. They're saying, my wife's going to have a baby. Do you have any place for us? Well, no, we don't have any place for you, but you know what? You can use the garage. The car's unlocked. Go in the back seat, and you can use the garage. Who here would say that? Who would say that? Who would say go in the garage and she can have the baby in the garage? I don't think anyone. You'd probably say, oh, come in, come in, come in. Hurry up, come in. Boil some water. <laughs> why do they boil water? I, don't know. I found out why they tell the husband to boil, to, why they tell the guy to boil water. Get him out of the way. Go give him something to do. Go boil water. You say, no, come in. Hurry up, come in, get in the bedroom. You, what would you do? You would show hospitality to that person. Especially back in the first century, hospitality was a prized virtue. People prided themselves on being hospitable. You know, when Jesus said to the disciples, you're like a city on a hill. And a city on a hill that is all lit up at night is a picture of hospitality. You know, when you put a light in your window, you know what that means? It means my home is open to you. Come on in. That's what a light in a window meant in those days. I don't know if people realize that it means that today, but that's what it means. People would rent out their guest rooms and their homes to travelers, especially if they were coming to celebrate feast days or if there were big events going on. And here was the census. So many homes had a little guest room, and they would rent that out, and if it was a relative, they'd give it to them for free. In those days, people lived in one-room houses. Their house was one major room, but it also had a guest room attached either on the side, or this is why I want you to look in your bulletin. In your bulletin is a picture of a typical one-room house. And what do you see? You see when you walk in, you have the main room, and that's where the family lives. They sleep there, they cook there, everything goes on there. They watch TV there. Upstairs, like in a loft, would be the guest chamber, the guest room. And if travelers came and they needed a place to stay, they would go into the guest chamber. You'll also notice that off to the side of the family room is a little space for the animals. It's a little corralled-in area, and at night, they would take the animals into the home so they wouldn't be uh, stolen. And as far as, the bath as far as the bathroom goes, it would be someplace, a little pot outside somewhere. So Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem. They knock on the door of a particular house, might be a special house they were looking for, but the guest room was filled. So they were invited to stay in the living quarters of the family on the first floor. Well, the guest chamber, there's no space in the, in the Cataluma. There's no topaz in the Cataluma. There's no spot in the guest chamber. But tell you what, stay with us. We're all down here on the first floor. Everybody stay with us together. And that's where they stayed with the family. Now, people brought their animals in at night so as not to be stolen. So look in the picture. You can see their little area for the animals. 
Sometimes the animals are like two steps down from the living room, and they had their little spot, a goat, a sheep, whatever they had, maybe a chicken, whatever they had. So they had their own little corner, and they also had a feeding trough. That explains the manger. The manger was either built into the floor, a hole cut in the floor for them to eat, or it was a wooden box filled with hay, filled with straw. Oftentimes the inns in those days, here's where we have to understand first century culture. The inns were those days, the Motel 6 of the day, they were dirty, they were places of sin, they were places of prostitution, and they were definitely not a family atmosphere. The innkeeper was usually not a nice guy. They were kind of like people of ill repute. repute. So to go to the inn would be the last thing on their mind, to go to a public lodging like that, especially with a young girl that's about to have a baby. You know, in Matthew 10, verse 11, Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out with the gospel, he said, whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. <laughs> you, know, you know what he didn't say? Don't, he didn't say go to an inn. That's the last place he wanted his disciples, at an inn where there was sinfulness and prostitution and all kinds of just bad practices going on. He said to them, find a house. Find a house that's worthy. Stay with that house. And don't go from house to house. You stay in that house. Don't, say, don't think, oh, wait, there's a house down the street. They have air conditioning. We're going there. No, stay there. Oh, there's a house down the street. They have better food. Let's go there. No. You stay there until it's time to leave, and then you leave. So people avoided these inns as much as they could. The New Testament mentions several times that Christians should be given the hospitality. That's why hospitality was so important in those days. So the house probably had a number of people in it where Mary was about to deliver. And when Mary went into labor, the men were sent outside and there were other women in the house that could come and help deliver the baby. I mean, it takes away the drama of Mary, you know, delivering a baby with a cow looking in. You know, and the cow's like, what's going on? And, but you know what, let's be real. Let's really look at the reality of the situation. Inns were a no-no. People were given to hospitality. Mary and Joseph were very important people when it was discovered who they were. So she delivered Jesus, and Jesus was placed in the manger nearby because the animals were in the house, and there was a feeding trough, and they placed him in the trough. He was born into the world needing help from people that he came to help. We helped him, then he helped us, and now he continues. See, kindness is a win-win situation. People were kind to Joseph and Mary. People were kind to the baby Jesus, and now God is kind to us. Through Christ, God is kind, more than kind, to each and every one of us. The point is the Christmas story, just like our Christmas celebration. It's a time of open hearts. 
and open homes. Not closed hearts and closed homes. That's not Christmas. Christmas is not about closing. It's about opening. It's about opening up your heart. Opening up your home. I believe that's exactly what they people, these people did. It's a time of helping. It's a time of giving. It's a time of showing kindness. Even today, many, many people at Christmas time, they have what's called open houses, right? You open your home and you have all this food and you invite everybody, come on over. And you might have this thing going on all day and half the night. I have an open house this year, come on. I, wanna, I want you to come in, I want to share with you. I want to share my home with you. I want to share my food with you. I want to spend time together. See, that's Christmas. And you know what? I don't think that first Christmas was any different. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a night of depression and darkness and sadness. I think it was a time of joy, celebration. The whole house was celebrating. Jesus is born. Jesus is born. He's placed in a manger. That's how the, that's how the, uh, the shepherds found him. This will be a sign for you. You're going to see this little baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. And they probably went house to house. Any babies here lying in a manger? Nope, not this house. How about this one? Nope. How about this one? Nope. How about this one? Yes! How'd you know? Oh, you won't, I'll tell you later. You won't believe it. <laughs> tell you that story after. Where is he? They came and they saw the baby Jesus. Yep. Lying in a manger. And all the people are celebrating. Having a wonderful time. Hospitality. Kindness. That's Christmas. In your own personal life, when someone comes to you with a need, hey, maybe you can't do everything. But you can do something. You can do something. Christmas is definitely a time for showing kindness. But let's think about it. Because kindness is a win-win situation, the one receiving it wins and the one giving it wins, why not all year? Why reserve it for Christmas? Why not all year long develop a lifestyle of kindness? Because you know what? Kindness emulates God. God is kind. Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, was kind. Event after event after event after event. Oh, isn't that the key to Christmas? Of course it is. That's why we love this season of the year. And we want to wish you a kind Christmas. A Christmas of kindness and merriment, celebrating the birth of the Savior. Christmas services at New Hope are always Christmas Eve at 7 p.m., Christmas morning at 10 a.m., without fail. But whatever you do, let's make sure we acknowledge the birth of Jesus. <laughs>